We're looking at Mark chapter 4, and so if you've got your Bible or your device, open your device to Mark chapter 4. Um, Mark chapter 4 is, uh, we're looking at verse number 26 to begin with, as we continue on in this series called Sabbath Savior. And today I think you're going to be encouraged through this, because we're looking at a, a different angle of the teachings of Jesus. So why Savage, for those of you that haven't been with us for this Savage Savior series, why Savage? Well, because Savage, uh, the, dic- the, the Urban Dictionary defines Savage as... Uh, courageous to the point that other people say, are you crazy? And someone who's unconcerned about the consequences of their actions. And we're discovering in this series, as we're learning so much, we're kind of having our, I hope we're having our paradigm kind of shifted and challenged about Jesus because Jesus isn't just the nice, safe savior that we often think of him as. He's pretty savage and we're taking a look at him in a very, very fresh way. So Mark chapter four, beginning at verse number 26, I'm gonna ask you, I know you've been up and down, but would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? The Bible is the, is the only book that's alive. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It has the power to change us and power to get through to the very heart of the man. It says in verse number 26, he also said, this is the words of Jesus, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Now We're going to stop there for just a second because God knows the order in which things need to happen in our lives. Can you say amen? There is an order to everything. Trusting God means allowing him to do what he wants when he wants to do it. We talked about that a little bit last week in Mark chapter 3. If you're out of order, things aren't working. So, for example, if you're you're spending your money before you tithe, then it's a bad idea because you're out of order. Um, And there's an order to things. Sex before marriage is not a good idea. You're out of order because then he won't value you and he'll objectify you. And there is an order to things. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise is what my Bible says. So for me, when I pray, it always goes better if I start off by praising God. If I start off by giving God praise and glory and honor that he is due, so you say, thank you, God, for what you've already... Sure, I've got needs. Sure, I've got unresolved issues in my life. But when we start off by praising God, instead of starting off with woe is me and things that I need, somebody out there is laying in a hospital right now on a ventilator because they can't breathe. But I've got breath in my lungs, and my Bible says that at anything who has breath, let him praise the Lord. Can someone say amen? So in spite of how we feel, in spite of what we're going through, we should be praising God because there's an order to things. Right, Jackson? There's an order to things. And once that order is in place, we get to verse number 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Let me just say before you sit down, sometimes we put the sickle to things in our lives and it's not quite ready. Sometimes what we do is it's, it's not quite ripe and we put the sickle to it. Some of you in here are in a season of preparation. You don't need to identify yourself, but you're in a season. God is preparing you for something. You're in a season of preparation, but you want to just get on with life. But this season of preparation, is, it's cumbersome to you. And the Lord told me as I was preparing this message to the three or four of you that might be in here that might be listening to this, and you feel like, that's me. I just want to get on with it. The Lord said, don't put the sickle to it before it's ripe. Can someone say amen? Don't put the sickle to it before it's ripe. 
You make sure that you finish what God wants you to do in the preparation because then God's gonna make sure that, you, that, that he comes through in a, in a mighty way for you on the other side. Can you say amen as you're having a seat this morning? Praise the Lord. And I think maybe, quite possibly, we had all these babies on the stage and we had an awesome time of worship and Tasha blew the roof off in the way that she prayed this morning. I, and I think, I think, though, I may have taken the wind out of your sails. If I remember, this church is still called New Life, not Old Life, so we're going to experience new life today. And I invite you to be a part of the message this morning by putting your clappers together and by making sure you're saying amen because that means, Lord, let it be so in my life. The crux of this message is two verses, that's all. 27, 28, I'll put it back on the screen. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. Everybody say, I don't know how. <laughs> yeah. All by itself, the soil produces grain. Now, Mark has given us, this is really an awesome book. It's like a Reader's Digest version of the life of Jesus. It's a jet tour through the life of Christ. Mark is the oldest of the Gospels. And Mark is, and so far we've studied uh, the first three chapters of the book of Mark, and we've been studying the context of Jesus' ministry. Everybody say context. The context of Jesus' ministry means that, you know, when he was um, preaching in the synagogue and the man with the evil spirit started yeah, shrieking out, you know, and bothering, we don't know what Jesus was teaching. We just know the context of what was going on. The context is when Jesus was preaching in Peter's house and there were so many people there that the, the guys that brought their, the four friends that brought their paralyzed friend to, to Jesus couldn't get in the house. It didn't say what Jesus was teaching. It just said that Jesus was teaching. There's a context of them lowering him down and Jesus saving him and healing the man. That's the context of Jesus' ministry. And through the context, we have discovered that we serve a savage savior. He doesn't do things that just wants to be on the on the, on the, 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 the uh, with the flow. He's an against the flow, savage savior. Can you say amen? And so what we discovered though is, is in the context, we've studied stories about Jesus, but today we're gonna look at some content. In other words, we're gonna learn what Jesus taught and then we're gonna apply that to our lives. So we've got the context and today we've got the content. The, the teachings of Jesus though, they create opposition. Everybody say opposition. While at the same time making an impact. Say the word impact. So this is true for us. Everything, everything that makes impact creates opposition. Everything that creates impact or makes impact creates opposition. In other words, if the devil isn't messing with you, he doesn't consider you to be a threat. <laughs> but how many of you think the devil thinks that you must be a threat because he's, he's trying to mess with you? That so far in this series, we've discovered five examples of this controversy or this opposition in the life of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized um, in the Jordan River, remember he was lowered down by John in the Jordan River and God spoke and said, this is my son. That sounded awesome. That's why I like microphones like this with whom I'm well pleased, right? And, and then the spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, right? And remember that coming down? Yes, and then the same dove that we really like then leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and where he has no food and he has no company and he's being tempted and tested by the devil for those 40 days because everything that makes an impact, baptism, creates opposition. So if you've been baptized, uh, if you made a public declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ, you probably run into some opposition in your life. Certainly you have spiritually. Or remember the teaching when Jesus, I was talking about teaching in the synagogue and the evil spirit shrieks out. The demons knew who Jesus was, even though the church people didn't. And Jesus is like, be quiet, come out of him. And the demons had to obey because everything that makes impact creates opposition. 
Remember that guy with leprosy and uh, he broke all the rules. He's supposed to stay 50 paces away and I marked off 50 paces in the church and uh, he's supposed to holler, unclean, unclean, and just keep his face half covered and torn clothes and all that stuff because that's the law, that's the rules. He didn't do any of that. He just made his way to Jesus. If you're willing, would you heal me? And Jesus said, I am willing. Yeah, be healed, be whole, be clean. And the, Jesus healed him, and it became impact, but it created some opposition. And remember the four dudes that lowered their paralyzed friend? They couldn't get him in the front door, so they went up on the roof, and they dug, and they dug, and they dug through that, that chalk limestone and mud and thatched roof, and they got him down before Jesus. That dude created opposition, but there was an impact in his life. Jesus healed him, rolled up his mat, walked out the same door that he couldn't come in the first time. Remember the man with the shriveled hand we talked about last week? But Jesus, uh, Jesus healed the man in church, no big deal, but he healed him on the Sabbath, and that is a big deal because they took, instead of obeying and following the God of the Sabbath, they made the Sabbath into their God. And so the church people grumbled because they loved their system so much. And Jesus healed the man, and what happened? He created impact, but then he created opposition because now they're plotting to kill him. And so everything that makes impact creates opposition. Some of you are growing in your relationship with God. There, one, four or five of you. Let's try it. Some of you are growing in your relationship with God. Can you say amen? You're growing in your relationship, and you've likely discovered, and if you haven't, let me help you with this, you've likely discovered that as you grow in your walk with God, there seems to be consistent conflict around every corner that you take in your spiritual life and sometimes just in your physical life. Don't be alarmed by that. God is still with you. He, he loves you so much. He's not going to leave you, but he trusts you. He trusts you to endure through his resurrection power because everything that makes impact creates opposition. Jesus is teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God, and he's teaching in this one through parables. A parable is a story, or it's like a word picture. Um, it, it's simple on the surface, but it has a really profound, really deep meaning to it. Sometimes it can be hard to discern what the meaning is. So in Mark chapter 4, early in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about the different kinds of soil. Uh, this is the first parable, and then he has, this, he has a couple of parables, but uh, this is the parable of the sower. And we're not going to cover the parable of the sower today, because uh, I did a whole teaching on this uh, many, many um, uh, months ago. But in the whole parable of the sower, Jesus teaches about it, and he teaches that there are really four, four, he says four different types of soil. There's the rocky soil, the thorny soil, the path, and then there's the good soil. So how many soils are there? There's two. There's, there's the good soil and there's the bad soil. So um, there's good soil and there's bad soil. And the good soil is the good soil that's fertile and you can put the seed and it's going to grow. It's going to blossom. The bad soil is the thorny soil, the path, and the rocky soil. But let's be reminded that the bad soil can be redeemed. You can take the rocks out of the rocky soil, you can remove the thorns out of the thorny soil, and you can till up the path. It's just going to take a lot of work, but you can do that. You can always be redeemed. And so in this story, uh, Jesus is, is telling us this word picture where the, uh, the, the soil is either good or bad. Now, the soil he's equating with our, our soul. The, the soul is your mind. Um, it would be your intellect, your emotions, and your free will. Your, your brain, your heart, your gut. We've talked about that before. So your intellect, your emotions, and your free will. And so the soul com com is comprised of that. And so the soil is the condition of your soul. If your intellect, your, your emotions, and your free will are in conflict with God's word, which is the seed, then it's bad soil. So if what we think and what we feel and what my gut tells me goes is contrary to God's word... 
then it's bad soil. If, however, it's in cooperation with God's word, then it's good soil. Does that make sense? Everybody say yes. So with that in mind, when our soul is receptive to the seed, it's good soil. When our soul is not receptive to the seed, it's considered to be bad. So one of the, one of the bad soils that I find to be interesting is the path. Because the Bible says in that parable, it says that when the seed falls on the path, the birds of the air come and they, they come and they, they're, they're seed-snatching birds is what they are. They, they, they eat up all the seed. Does anybody in here have any seed-snatchers or joy-suckers in your life that, they, that you seem they've been put there? And these seed-snatchers, um, they come and they try to snatch your attention away from God so that you don't act on what God said and you don't do what God told you to do. And I think I found a modern day bird example of what a seed snatching bird really is. And this is the one that I would say it is, right? So, so this is an example of a seed snatcher. Sometimes social media is a seed snatcher. You used to believe what God said about you, and now you're listening to the voices of people that you don't even know. They might not even be who they claim to be, and they're sowing something, criticism or naysayers or nut jobs, and they're sowing things into your life. Don't let the joy suckers and the seed snatchers keep you from God's blessing. Do what he told you to do. Can someone say amen? That's not even the message, but it's a good word. So in this parable, which is um, the parable of the sower that we just talked about, is a prelude. It's an agricultural story, uh, word picture that Jesus is giving to us. Then in Mark chapter 4, at the end, beginning in verse number 26, he does another one. And look what he, how he starts it off again. He says, Jesus says this. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Oh, my. we got to understand this. They had never heard that phrase before, the kingdom of God. And now Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I, they're waiting with bated breath. They're leaning forward. Shh, I got to hear what he's going to say. They're focused so much on Jesus now. They want to hear what this new concept of the kingdom of God is all about. And then Jesus says an agricultural story, a commonplace agricultural story and I kind of think, I wonder if that was like anticlimactic to them. Why a farming story to define the kingdom of God? Why? Because Jesus needed to give them an earthly illustration of something that they could connect with, something that they could relate with. And in this story, Jesus tells them, he tells us, he's speaking to us, that the farmer plants the seed in the ground. He doesn't leave the seed on the table. He doesn't leave the seed up on the shelf somewhere. But he plants, he plants the seed in the ground, and when the farmer does plant the seed in the ground, the seed experiences growth. The seed grows. And look at verse 27, please. Stay with me. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, doesn't matter what he's doing, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And once again, I want you to say, I don't know how. That might be the most spiritual thing that we've said all week long. I don't know how. And let me show you what I mean. What kind of farmer doesn't know how the seed grows. Seems to me that's like your, like your job, dude. You should know how the seed, that's like the thing you do, how it grows. Well, keep in mind that a parable, a, a word picture from Jesus, is intended to get us beneath the surface to a deeper meaning. So what's the deeper meaning? Well, could it be that the deeper meaning is that the kingdom of God is oftentimes like a, like a little seed, and the little seed, which represents the kingdom of God, um, seems so insignificant at times. It can seem to us to be so small that it's almost unnoticed. You don't even know it's there. It appears to be 
invisible. When you put the seed in the soil, it's invisible to the farmer. Let me tell you, this story, there's three characters. There's the character of the farmer, that's you and me. And when the seed, which is Jesus, is put in the soil, we can't see it. And we wonder when it's going to produce a harvest. The soil is your life. The soil is the uncertainties of this world. And many of us are dealing with uncertainties right now. So once again, you and I are the farmer. The soil, the dirt is life. It's the uncertainties of life. And the seed in this parable is Jesus. And we plant the seed. We plant the seed and it grows. But we don't know how. Uh, I don't know how. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't know how. I just got to make sure y'all are awake today. The same statement was, was throughout the entire Bible. How, God, how? When Abraham was called by God to a land he did not know from the land of Ur, uh, God said, go to a place that, I, that I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but go to that place. And so Abraham's question was how? When Mary was told by the angel that she was going to have a baby and the one born of you is the Holy One of God, Mary's question is, um, how? <laughs> right? Because Mary knew Mary and she knew the question to ask right now was, how, right? When, when the, the first thing the disciples said to Jesus, when Jesus said, hey, this crowd of 5,000 men, 20,000 people that's out there that's listening to me preach, they're hungry. They're getting hangry. I don't want them to leave. Feed them. Well, they didn't bring a lunch for themselves. How were they supposed to be able to feed all of these people? So their first question was, how? The question how you'll find throughout Scripture all over the place. They didn't know how. I don't know how. Some of you are like, I don't know how to raise these kids. I, I knew how to raise these kids before I had them, but now they're here, and I don't know how to raise these kids. By the way, I wish, I have a few regrets in my life. One of the regrets is I wish I would have written a parenting book before I had children. Does anybody know what I'm talking Because I knew everything then, right? Yes? Right? Or written a marriage book before I got married, right? Because I knew everything about it then. And, uh, in fact, um, <laughs> if I would have write a parenting book, um, I probably, anybody remember like a set of encyclopedias? How, how, remember that? Yeah. Real, like not like Wikipedia, like real encyclopedias. That's how much I think I could have written about parenting before I had kids. And then when I had kids, maybe one volume. And then you don't get very far into parenting kids and you realize you might be able to write one chapter that has any substance. And then after a while you realize just one page. And that one page wouldn't have any words on it. It would just have like one emoji. And the, the one... <laughs> And the one emoji would be like that prayer emoji, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> sure, sure. I don't know how to raise these kids. I don't know how to love my wife. I used to know how before I got married, but now she knows the real me, and I don't know how to love my wife. I don't know how to get close to God. You talk about getting close to God. How do you do that? How do I do that? I want to be close to him, but I don't know how. Troy, I don't know how to beat my addiction. I don't know how. I know it's just give it to God, let go, let God. I don't, how do you do that? How do I beat this thing? I don't know how to love my neighbor. You don't know my neighbor, right? I don't, how am I supposed to love the unlovable? How do you do it? Tell me how. Quit telling me what to do. Tell me how to do it. I don't know how to forgive that person that hurt me so bad. I don't know how to forgive somebody and yet make sure that I, I keep an appropriate distance so they don't continue to violate me. I don't know how. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to let go. I don't know how to move forward. I don't know how. And I know that's the question. How do you do that, God? How do you, you want someone to answer the question for you? I don't know how to pastor this church. I don't know how. 
I thought I did maybe like nine years ago, but then we started the church, right? And then y'all came to the church, and now I really don't know. <laughs> I'm just having fun with you this morning. I don't know how. I don't know how. Is there anybody in here besides me that doesn't know how? I just don't know how, God. I don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. So in this parable, there's this farmer, Jesus is telling about, who doesn't know how to make the seed grow. And Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. That's what the kingdom of God is like. What? The king, what? That's what the kingdom of God is like? Yes, in other words, spiritual growth is like that. There's a part that you play. I mean, you gotta plow and you gotta sow and you gotta water. There's a part that you play, but you don't know how it grows. That's what spiritual growth is like. Because here's the deep truth of this story. You don't have to know how. If I needed to know how in every area of my life, I wouldn't be at church today because I'd still be at home because I'd have to be figuring out how in the world putting a key in the ignition of my truck and turning that key causes the truck to go vroom, 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 right? And, and kabam, it's on, and then it goes. Most of the time it goes, right? And I don't know how. I just, I don't know how I type my messages out to try to keep me on track, but I don't know how when I type, I know Anthony probably knows, I don't know, I push a letter and it shows up on my laptop, and then when I hit print, down the hall and around the corner, it prints on a machine in there without a cable, it's like in the cloud, right? And it prints. I don't know how that works, but it still works. See, there's a lot of areas in our life that require a lot of faith, but when it comes to God, we demand to know how. Hey, we don't have to know how. There, there may be someone here today who is in a situation where you don't know how. Maybe you don't know how you're gonna make it. God, how am I gonna make it? Maybe, God, how am I gonna get through this mess? It's, it's a mess. Maybe the question is, God, how come I'm here again? This isn't uncharted territory. This is, this is like a repeat of Gilligan's Island over and over and over again. I'm back here again. God, how long do I need to wait? How long? You're asking the question, how much more? Because I don't know if I can take much more. How much more? And God spoke from heaven and he says, you don't have to know how when you know who. Can someone say amen? You don't have to know how when you know who. Here's a good rhyme for you if you want to write down rhymes, if you like like a rhyme. I'm not a poet, but um, I don't have to know. I just need to sow. The farmer didn't know how the seed grew. He just knew he needed to keep sowing seed. He just needed to keep planting the seed. So you don't have to know. You don't have to know how you're going to make it. You just need to keep pressing on toward the high calling of God. You, keep, you need to keep sowing. You don't have to know how you're going to get through this mess. Just keep your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of your faith and keep on sowing. You don't have to know, how come I'm here again, God? You don't have to know that. Just trust that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it and keep on sowing. You don't have to know, God, how long do I need to wait? Seems like I've been waiting forever. How much longer? Just know in whom you believe and in whom you trust and keep on sowing. How much more, God? You don't have to know how. Just embrace the fact that no weapon formed against you is gonna prosper and keep on sowing. You don't have to know how, but you do have to know who. If you don't know who, you're gonna get stuck in the how. And the how is a dead end. So the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sowed the seed. He did his part. But, but if you don't know this by now, you, you need to know this. There comes a point when you've done all you can do. 
And when you've done all you can do, the rest is up to God. And we can't keep trying to do for God when it's God's turn to do. Can you imagine the farmer's sowing? He's like, wait a minute. I don't know how it grows. I'm not sowing any more seed till I know how. It's like ridiculous. But that's what we do. That's what we do in our lives. Some of you have done that in different areas of your life. You're waiting to know before you sow. So here's the lesson that we get from this. Uh, You can write this down. It might be helpful to you. Let the dirt do its work. Let the dirt do its work. I'm going to explain. The greatest lesson in this story, the greatest accomplishment work in this story was not when the farmer sowed, but the greatest accomplishment in this story is when the dirt did its part. You see, there's a cooperation in all of our lives between the things we can do and the things we can't do. Some of y'all are so so focused on, I can do the things I can't do, when really you should just be focusing on the things you can do, and God is the one who will take care of the things you can't do. I can plant, I can water, I can sow, I can speak words of life, I can speak resurrection power forth, I can invest my resources into the kingdom of God. But the part... The, the part that produces the fruit in this story is not attributed to the farmer. The part that produces fruit in this story is attributed to the soil. And I'm going to show you. It's not on the screen, but let me just read you verse 28 again. All by itself, the soil produces grain. Let me say it again. All by itself, the soil produces grain. So, so here's where it's at. The farmer plants But the soil produces. Now, this is a parable, deeper meaning. The farmer plants, that's you and me, but the soil, life, the uncertainties of life, that's what produces. Some of you um, uh, really, really want to make sure that your children don't go through some of the uncertainties in life that you went through as a child. I'm going to challenge you. Now, I'm not talking about sinful things, but I'm going to challenge you as parents that Sometimes we need to allow our children to go through those things because those things are the things that made you the very man or woman of faith that you are today. The uncertainties of life have a way of God bringing out the best in his children. The farmer plants, but the soil produces. So here's a, I'm hesitant to do this, kind of a little corny thing, but here's the dirty little secret found, found in, this, found in this, uh, this, this little scripture here. Your destiny will be revealed in the dirt. And here's what I'm calling the dirt. And, and you can write this down or take a picture of it. But your destiny will be revealed, and I made kind of an acronym out of it, is out of, in the disappointments of your life. Your destiny will be revealed in the insecurities that you experience. Your destiny is found in the rejection that you've gone through and the, the trouble that you're in. Your, your future, your life, the uncertainties will be overcome that found in the dirt, the disappointment, insecurity, the rejection, and the trouble. And uh, let me explain what I mean. Tasha, if you would, please. Let me explain what I mean. At this point in Jesus' ministry, at this point in the ministry of Jesus, his disciples have already been selected. The 12, of the, the 12 guys, his posse, has already been selected. And Jesus and his, has been teaching his crew that he is going to die on the cross. And, and their answer is no way. I'm not going to let it happen. 
You're not going to go to the cross because, Jesus, if you go to the cross, you're going to die and you're going to be buried. And when you're buried, the movement is buried. And when that happens, it's all over. So Jesus said, guys, I've got to go to the cross and I'm not going to prevent it. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he was uh, arrested. And when he was arrested, he was put through a series overnight of mock, made-up, false, ridiculous trials. And during those trials, Jesus had a chance to defend himself because he was being accused. Accusations were being hurled at him. And he was being accused of all kinds of evil that he did not do. It wasn't him. He didn't cause it. He didn't make that happen. He didn't make that statement. But he was being accused of all these things. But Jesus remained silent. And because of that, they hung him on the cross to die. And his disciples wanted to see Jesus come down from the cross, which Jesus could have called legions of angels to rescue him. He could have come down in a heartbeat, but he chose to stay there. He could have avoided being buried in the grave, but he stayed on the cross. But the night before, when he was being tried, his accusers were accusing him of all of these terrible accusations that were being heaped on him, even though he was completely innocent. Why didn't Jesus say anything? Well, Jesus didn't say anything because he knew that the dirt had a purpose to fulfill. Jesus could have stopped it, but he didn't stop it. In essence, he was saying to his disciples by not speaking a word when they were accusing him of the most foul things, fellas, let the dirt do its work. Why? Because they accuse me. That's Jesus. They accuse me. If they do that, then my Father in heaven will not accuse you. So he took our dirt, our disappointment, our insecurity, our rejection, and our trouble. And Jesus, the innocent, took our punishment so that we, the guilty, could go free. And when Jesus died on the cross, after he died on the cross, they took his body down and they buried him in the grave. Now, Jesus could have, I'm, I'm fixing to get a little bit excited up here this morning. Jesus could have resisted the burial. Because when Jesus died, it didn't take him three days to kick the devil's butt. It didn't take him three days to take back the keys of death, hell, and the grave. It didn't take that long. He could have done it in a nanosecond's time. And he could have come back to life as they were carrying his body off to the grave and said, I'm back. He could have done that. But instead, Jesus allowed himself, his body, to be buried. You see, the people, listen, in all essence, Jesus was saying, and he stayed dead three days in the grave. He was saying, let the dirt do its work. The people thought that they were attending a funeral service, but they weren't attending a funeral service. They were attending an agricultural lesson on that day because Jesus wasn't buried on Friday. Jesus was planted on Friday. And when you plant something, it always expects a harvest to come forth. Jesus was the seed. In this story, he was the seed. And I came to declare this morning that whoever's been going through a season of dirt to let the dirt do its work. Don't fight it, don't run from it, and don't pluck the seed before it's over because you're in a bad season. Leave the seed in the ground because there is nothing that's going on in your life that God cannot use for your good. Can you say amen? Man, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that all things work together for good. For those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. I believe that. I don't always know how, but I still believe that. I don't know how it's going to work together for my good, but I do know who. And there are some people 
in this room that have been in the ground for far too long. You've been in the ground for quite a while. And I want to prophesy over your life right now, resurrection to every person who's been in the dirt for too long. The devil said that it was over. But three days later, Jesus burst forth and the harvest was found. Salvation was born. Sunday came. I told you earlier that the seed can seem to be insignificant. It's so small. It's so, so tiny. It can seem to be invisible, especially when it's planted in the ground. You don't have to know how God is going to come through for you because the likelihood of God coming through for you in the way you expected him to come through for you is probably not going to be that way. It's probably going to be, in an, as we prayed last week and I pronounced over, you gave your word from the Lord, that um, it's probably going to be an unexpected way in an unexpected place. It's going to happen differently than you think. It could be, there's kind of three ways God could come through for you supernaturally. It could be manna from heaven that drops from God. It's supernatural stuff that he does. Hallelujah. That's the one we all want. But it might also be that God does something really powerful through something that you think is so, so seemingly insignificant and so invisible in your own life. Like the widow from Zarephath, the little oil. What do you got in your house, Elisha says? She says, I don't got nothing, just a little bit of oil in a jar. Well, go get that little bit of oil. And God will take that little thing that seems so insignificant in your life and he will cause resurrection power to flow through it. It could also be that God is going to use a little something from somebody else's life that you might perceive to be insignificant or they might think is insignificant. How are we going to feed all these people, Jesus? Well, what you got? We don't got nothing. Yeah, you do. What, what do you really? Well, all we got is this little boy's lunch. So we're going to use somebody else's thing, little insignificant lunch with a few bread slices, a, a few crackers and some sardines, and we're going to feed thousands of people with it because, because it might not be significant to you, but it's significant to God. And remember, if you're, been, if you're in the dirt and you're surrounded by soil, it's not over yet. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. You got to just pronounce that to the devil. It's not over yet. You think you've won, but it's not over yet. It's, listen, it's not over yet. The seed can feel invisible. You can feel like you're, you, can't, you can't get through this mess. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can feel dark, it can feel difficult, it can feel hopeless where you're at. I was driving up to our South Stockton campus on Thursday evening, and I noticed at the, at the Van Busker Community Center, I noticed that at the tennis courts, which is next to the playground, I must have had 150 or 200 people out there, and they're holding balloons, and they've got candles, and I'm like, oh no, this is some sort of a vigil, something bad probably happened. And sure enough, something bad did happen. Right there where we have church, there were a couple of teenage boys that were shot and killed uh, a week ago, 14, 15, maybe years old, um, uh, because uh, presumably because uh, whoever did it wanted uh, one of their bicycles. And a terrible tragedy. And so it turns out that one of them was a football player in one of the Pop Warner Leagues or whatever it is. And uh, so the football team was gathered together with all the family and anybody else in the school that was there um, that wanted to be there. And they're all taking turns talking. And, and Nate, our South Stockton campus intern, who was in the back back there, I just want to give him a shout out, uh, was there before me as the team is there before I arrive and uh, making sure everything was set up. But he had noticed earlier, so he'd already gone over and, and talked with the mom and uh, tried to be an encouragement to the crowd. And then he said, Pastor, would you, I want to go, yes. And so he took me over there and we waited for the right moment. And then uh, they said, does anybody want to say anything? And the, uh, the guy looked at me uh, and I made eye contact with him. He said, would you like to say something? And I did. It took a moment to minister to them, to tell them about Jesus and, 
and tell them how we love them and we are so terribly sorry for what they're experiencing and we planted some seeds and had an opportunity to minister to those dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Sometimes, yes, amen. When you talk to somebody who's lost a loved one uh, prematurely, and I don't know really, even if you're older and you pass away, it's still a terrible loss. But when you talk to somebody who's lost somebody really, really prematurely, um, you don't, you don't want to talk to them about how they're going to make it through. Um, that's not your concern. The thing that we want to talk to them about is who is with them. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's with you. He's, he's with you. Could it be that God is keeping you in a place of uncertainty? Could it be that God is keeping you in the ground a little bit longer, in the dirt a little bit longer, so that you don't get confused and start thinking of yourself as the seed rather than remembering that Jesus is the seed? Because our savage Savior is, I'm going to preach this till I die. Our savage Savior is more concerned about what's happening in you than he is what's happening to you. Because what's happening to you is temporal. But what's happening in you is eternal. And so we get so concerned about the dirt, but the disappointments, our insecurities, we get so concerned about all of the rejection. And we get so concerned about the trouble. And I'm not telling you it's, it's easy because I'm not going to make light of it. But the farmer's job is obedience. That's us. God's job is outcome. The farmer's job is obedience. That's our one and only job. But the, the, the job of our great and mighty God is, is outcome. And how God gets us, if you need to know how, the vessel that God uses to produce outcome is found in the dirt. And we want God just to magically do it. But manna from heaven is a rarity. God oftentimes uses, most of the time, uses the dirt to produce the outcome as long as we're obedient. And so the dirt is helping you to become who you're supposed to be. Let the dirt do its work. This, let the sufferings of this present time produce in you a glory that is not to be compared with. I know you're going through dirt now. Many, many uh, weeks ago, I taught about uh, Joseph. And if you remember, Joseph uh, was, um, had his dream as a young teen. And he went and told his older brothers. And if you remember the story, his older brothers had a huge bonfire for him and a parade. They had a parade with hats and horns and streamers, and it was amazing. Do you all remember that? Yes? That's not true. But Joseph's brothers got so mad at him for having this dream that they threw him, they beat him up, and they threw him down into an old dry well, a cistern. While Joseph was down there all beat up and bloodied, he had to probably think. Here's what I think. Every promise needs a pit. Every dream needs dirt. And your faith needs fertilizer. 
Now, I know it sounds kind of cliche-ish to you a little bit, but it's all true. Your promise is going to have a pit experience. Your dream is going to have to stay in the dirt for a little while because that's, that's where it's growing. That's where it's getting deeper roots. And don't be discouraged because it didn't happen right away. Man, I started this church. Uh, when we started this church uh, eight years ago almost, uh, we, we just expected God to move, and he did. And the first gathering, we had 104 people there at, at, uh, at uh, Joseph Widmer School. I was so excited. Of course, probably two-thirds or three-fourths of that was our friends that came from out of town, drove four or five hours to be here to support us for, uh, for the first gathering. And it was exciting. By the third gathering, we were down to about 30 people. And then we kind of stayed at about 30 people. I'm talking about 30 people, including all the kids and all the babies and a couple of mouse mice that I found in the, rolling around. The, I'm going to count every, every living thing in the, in, the, in the building. It was a small crowd of people. And my dream to reach this community uh, didn't come to fruition at any significant level that I could see right away. Because every promise needs a pit and every dream needs dirt and your faith needs some fertilizer. And so it had to stay in the ground for a while. And in some respects, it's still in the ground. But in other respects, it's bursting forth and it's producing a harvest. And so every dream needs some dirt. So here's what I want to get to. Do you have something in the ground right now? Let's kind of get real about this. Are you in a situation where you don't know how? Are you in a situation in your life when you don't know how is this thing going to come together and you don't know how to do what you've been positioned to do? I mean, your responsibility exceeds your experience. Like, I, I don't know. I've never been here before. I don't know what to do about this. I, I, I really don't know. If that's you, if that's you, then in the final few seconds here this morning, I would like to pray with you. And um, if you will indulge us for just less than five minutes longer. I really want to help some people this morning and I hope that you want to help some people too. Because if you find yourself down in the dirt and you feel like your, your dream is just, it's not coming to fruition. The thing that God spoke to you is not happening yet. You, you feel as though it's, it's, you can't even seem to see Jesus around all the dirt that's going on, the disappointment, insecurities, the rejection, the trouble that you're experiencing. I'm going to help you today. And so what I'd like to do is we're going to close. I've asked the worship team to come and sing just the chorus of one song. And as they're doing this, if that's you and you'd like to pray a simple four-line closing prayer with me, a profession of faith, a, I'm talking about dealing with this, this, this disappointment, dealing with this insecurity, dealing with this rejection and this trouble, and facing the dirt head on. If you, if you want to do that, I want to help you before you go today. The Spirit of God wants to help you before you go today. So as we begin singing, I'm just going to ask you to make your way to the altar. Stand here for, we'll sing it through just once. Then we're going to pray a prayer together, and then I'll dismiss you. Now I want you to slip your hands up to heaven right now if you can. And I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me. God, I don't know how. Come on, say it like you mean it. God, I don't know how, but I know who. I believe that you are with me. And I declare by your spirit that I will rise like a seed planted in the earth because I possess resurrection power. I don't know how, but I know who. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, 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 Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now you gotta believe by faith. You don't gotta tarry, you gotta believe, you gotta trust. 
that, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. You gotta trust what the Bible says that if your faith is the side of a seed, of the smallest of seeds, a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain that stands before you, that's in your way, be removed and cast into the sea and it must obey because of the faith that you have through the resurrection power of our savage savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Lord, we thank you for your provision, your power, your grace, and your mercy. I ask God for miracles in this room. I ask God that harvest would come in this room. I ask God for faithfulness in this room. I pray for strength in this room, God. We give these things to you and we trust. We trust that it's, you're more than able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can think, ask, or imagine. And so we give you our hope, our confidence, our faith, and our trust. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen, and amen, and amen. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you rest, and may he give you peace. God bless you, New Life Church. Thank you for being here today and for being faithful. Have a great Sunday. Y'all are dismissed. Amen, amen, amen.